0: Three siblings can have different presentation epilepsy, though they have the exact same gene mutation. One may have more severe epilepsy, one might present earlier, one might have other comorbidities which are having a bigger
1: impact. Fellow sapiens, now we all know that our diets are pretty important, right? But did you know that there is a genetic epilepsy called GLUT1 that messes up the absorption of the glucose that we have to our brains and causes seizures? Well, this week, consultant neurologist Kathleen Gorman tells us all about her work in neurogenetics, well, the genetic epilepsies, and specifically the rare epilepsy GLUT1 deficiency disorder.
0: My name is Kathleen Gorman. I am a consultant paediatric neurologist in Children's Health Ireland at Tampa Street, which is located in Dublin, Ireland. And I am a paediatric neurologist who looks after all neurological conditions, but especially epilepsy, movement disorders, and neurogenetics. Tell us a bit about the neurogenetics, because not everybody is familiar with that term. It's really been exploding, uh, speciality, over the last 10, 15 years. And what we mean by neurogenetics is really genetics got to do with brain. Uh, so whether it is related to epilepsy, um, movement disorders, migraine, uh, or neurodegenerative conditions is really focusing on genetics related to neurology. All of the aforementioned are frequently interlinked, right? Absolutely. And I think we're realising more and more important genetics is i think you're realizing that you know with your podcast and everything uh, about how important genetics is not just with neurology but with all uh, conditions and i think it's exploded over the last 15 years and we've learned so much but there's still lots to understand and i think that's what will kind of grow over the next few years that if we understand the genetics then we can then focus our treatments uh, and hopefully have better treatment options and curative cures for mild conditions we don't have anything to offer at the moment
1: and just to reassure everybody it's not like the number of people um affected by these conditions or diseases has increased right it's more that we're actually recognizing them more absolutely that's completely it. it's just that
0: um say if you came to see me 20 years ago and that my predecessor would be able to say we know that your epilepsy is likely something genetic but i don't know what it is and just now we have the technology and the ability to say, well, actually, it's due to this gene or that gene. Or sometimes we don't know <laughs> still. Um, but it's not that it's gotten more common. It's just that we now know how to find it. And
1: so are you involved in whole exome sequencing or whole genome sequencing with your patients? We have two different aspects. Um, so
0: I guess in the clinical setting, um, we have whole exome sequencing. Um, and I don't know if you want, what whole exome sequencing, I'll just say very quickly, is when we look at about 2% of your genetic material, we know about 90, 95% of disease are from there. Uh, so that's why we focus on that part of your genetic code, because we know that's where most of our changes in our genetic code are. So in the clinical setting, that's what we offer uh, patients. Uh, and we're very lucky in Ireland. We're a little bit different to the other, say, the NHS, uh, that we have very good access um. That our clinical setting we have very good access to genetic testing, uh, and then in whole genome sequencing uh, it's just in the research setting at the moment, and that means we look at all your genetic material, and I think, and that's what's been offered in the NHS now. So we're a little bit behind in Ireland compared to the NHS in that part.
1: And when you do this um, genetic testing, are you doing it solely on the patients, or are you doing it on the mums and dads, biological mums and dads as well? It depends. Um, so depending on the child. So usually I will
0: start with the child. And the reason why I do that is um, we use, we. I will start with uh, a thing called genetic panel, uh-huh. um, which looks at maybe a hundred genes uh, related to, I'm going to focus on epilepsy, uh, related to epilepsy. And the reason why we do that is because it just makes the analysis easier. We know that most uh, genetic epilepsies are caused by, handful of genes uh but if we don't find a cause or if we don't if it's a different presentation then i'll extend the analysis and include the parents as well so each situation we kind of uh, evaluate uh, each case by case
1: would you say most of the genes responsible for the genetic epilepsies tend to be de novo mutations or would you say most of them are inherited if one can answer that question So I think it depends on what kind of case you're looking at. So
0: I think if you look at the children, and I I often will talk about children because it's what I I look after, um, but if we look at the children who present in the first two years of life with the really severe early onset epilepsies, um, I would say the majority of those are de novo, but definitely there are some inherited. uh, And so it depends on the gene. It often depends on the family history. And that'll kind of give us an idea about what the inheritance is. And then if kids represented older, um, some will be de novo or um, something new in the child. Some might be that there's a relevant family history. So maybe the mum or dad had several seizures and they you know, had kind a of different presentation of the same gene. So sometimes it can be a different presentation
1: even though you've got the same genetic change. That's really interesting, actually, because I think commonly believed is that if you have uh, the same genetic mutation, whatever that might be, then you are going to have the same symptoms or that, you know, it will present itself in exactly the same way. way. But as you've just implied that that is certainly not always the case. Definitely not. And I think the more we're learning about genetics, the more we're realising that. So,
0: and we definitely are seeing that more, even more, I think especially in epilepsy genes, uh, we're realising that the same family can have three different presentations of epilepsy, though three, say, siblings, uh, can have different presentation epilepsy though they have the exact same gene uh, mutation one may have more severe epilepsy one might present earlier one might have other comorbidities which are having a bigger impact you know with learning problems uh, even though they all have the same gene change so there's something else we don't understand without a doubt and I think we're still learning and that's the, the big thing to understand is that we're still trying to understand and we don't know
1: everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and as I said in many podcasts, the more you learn, the more you realise you don't know.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's the important thing to realise is so much we just don't know and we need to learn more.
1: One example of a, um, a genetic epilepsy would be GLUT1. Um, it, upcoming is um, GLUT1, uh, it was International GLUT1 Awareness Day. I'm sure I said it the wrong way, but um, could you tell us about GLUT1 and um, people or children that you help who are affected by this genetic epilepsy? For people who don't know what pollution
0: one is, it is an example of a genetic epilepsy, exactly like you said. Uh, and it's due to a change in a gene called SLC2A1. And what this gene is really important for is that it is about transporting the glucose in your blood across to your brain. So when you have a change in this gene, you can't get the glucose uh, as your energy. Your glucose gives you the energy to do everything. It doesn't pass into your brain. And so children have different presentations. So it's really interesting uh, because things are really uh, broadening, uh, how children present. Um, so children can present with early onset epilepsy, so epilepsy in the first two years alive. You can present with absence seizures, so really um, severe absence epilepsy. You could just present with generalized epilepsy. Um, other children might present with learning problems, movement disorders is what I will see. Um, so movement disorders related to after exercise because you need that energy and um, and there's the reason why we think about this epilepsy is because we treat it differently. When we have this genetic change, we know that we treat you with a ketogenic diet because that is a different uh, way of providing you with that energy. And um, so it's something that if you get that genetic cause, we adapt your treatment. Um, and that's why we always want to think about it because
1: we have different options treatment-wise. When I first heard about GLUT1, it made me think of types of diabetes where people struggle to or can struggle to um, have their blood sugar, at sort of st- stabilise their blood sugar and can go up and down. I know this is a completely different condition, um, but would you say it has any similarities? So I suppose it's a little bit different in that you have too high
0: sugar uh, in diabetes. So uh, by this one, you have low sugar. I suppose it is all about how you transport your glucose uh, and how you metabolise your glucose. So it's still focusing on that glucose uh it's just that usually your glucose is too low uh in your brain so your glucose is fine in your blood but actually it's in your brain that it is low uh, and that's why you need other sources of energy through the
1: keto, ketogenic diet to kind of provide that energy source and does the ketogenic diet sort of stabilize that blood sugar for the for the people affected yes
0: yeah, so it's trying to provide a different source of energy so it's trying to bypass that faulty change that you have in that gene or that Uh, transport mechanism and using your ketones as an alternative source of energy so it's trying to find your brain give your brain that extra source of energy to be able to kind of um to work properly
1: just to let everybody listening know that the ketogenic diet actually is not the same as the atkins diet it's pretty severe and full-on well actually i know a family who do use it well their their child their son uses it and it actually for them provides well, it's an amazing sort of management tool for the for the seizures. Does it work for everybody? Like you said, we use the ketogenic diet in different things. So we use it in
0: loose one. We the majority of children will respond to it very well and be able to come off their anti-epileptic medications. Um, but we also use the ketogenic diet in children who have severe epilepsy and adults um, who have you know epilepsy that respond to other treatments. Uh, we're now using it very much earlier in infantile spasms um, because we um, realise that if your medications aren't working, that we should be using this earlier. So we're now using it earlier and earlier. And um, What do I know? I can't tell you the exact percentages, uh, but does it work for everyone? No. But in GLUT1, it works for the majority of people.
1: Just saying about the, the ketogenic diet, there is other options. I read one piece about, about the ketogenic diet for people with GLUT1, and I heard that it can not solely... Uh, improved management of seizures but actually can positively affect their cognitive function as well does that often happen so it's definitely in glute one it definitely
0: helps because i think if if you think about it when we are hungry and <laughs> that's how i think about it that i can't function properly and i get angry <laughs> and i am sluggish so i think of Glute one exactly like that that your brain just is not having enough energy so if you often parents will say that you know once they eat in the morning time they're brighter Uh, that the morning time is terrible because you've been fasting for a few hours and you'll be really annoyed. So like that, it's because your energy, uh, because your head. And absolutely, parents will say on the Keystone Diet with GLUT1 that they're brighter, they're learning more, that they're able to interact better. And some parents would even say that for kids who were using it in other options, you know, for other severe epilepsies, that maybe it hasn't had the most amazing effect on their seizures, but actually they're brighter, they're more interactive, which is actually... Really important uh, as a quality of life measure. If you're able to interact more with your siblings, if you're able to enjoy school better, uh, that that is really you know another positive outcome that you can have. And some parents will say that that it did minimal stuff for the seizures, but actually they're brighter, uh, which is uh, which is always a, a good um, a good outcome.
1: Also, I suppose would this minimise the child's risk of SUDEP as well, sudden so unexpected death in epilepsy? If you can reduce the seizure burden, and <laughs> that's always going to have a positive effect.
0: Um, we know that for SUDEP, um, that you know the longer duration your seizures, if you've long, you know the older you are, if you have them more severe seizures, if they're happening at night time, they're always the biggest, the biggest kind of risk factors. And I'm trying to think of the people who I need to have the discussion with, or you know, to remind myself to discuss it with parents. Um, and they're always the things I always, they're kind of the four things I think about. So if you have an overall benefit uh, on seizure reduction, then absolutely that's going to have another, you know, a, a knock on effect improvement on, on the seizure risk.
1: Yeah. And imagine once you are able to help a child sort of m- more effectively manage their seizures, then potentially then you sort of got more time Um and the the kid and the family have got more energy to also focus on common comorbidities as well. You mentioned those briefly.
0: Absolutely. I think, you know, for the start in the first few months and years, I see this in epilepsy and movement disorders that we're very focused on treating procedures and treating the movement disorder or trying to focus on that. But we often forget about the other stuff that, like you said, um, can have such a big impact you know and um, so i think uh you know sometimes schooling you know that you know as you're getting older that your conflict your needs get bigger that the, what you have to do gets bigger it's not that your learning has gone down it's just that you're now more as expected of you so i think that's always a big focus you know especially when we transition to primary to secondary school is i think where most people notice it because you need to do more and I think the other big thing that we're realising is the associated mood disturbances that people have and anxiety and the kind of concentration issues and whether the anxiety is related to having epilepsy or related to the meds or related to your underlying gene condition. I think it's a combination of all three that we often don't focus on that uh, because we're so focused on treating seizures, treating
1: seizures, treating seizures and not looking you know, at the other aspects. It's about quality of life for the patient and the family. Um it's not solely about seizures, but especially in things like Glute One, initially, understandably, uh, it can seizures can be a priority in management of those seizures. To learn more about Kathleen, make sure that you check her out at torirobinson.com slash epilepsy hyphen insights, where you can find out more about her and links to her work. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends, family and colleagues because it really helps us to get the messages about the epilepsies out to the masses.